And I got one of those, it seemed good, that this would be the day for this particular message. And uh, before I uh, uh, introduce that message to you, I want to read a few verses out of 1 John 5. We're going to spend a whole lot of time tonight in the epistle of 1 John. Now, John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote epistles, that being 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. So this is written by John, uh, uh, the, the one who uh, was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And may we all have such revelation of the Savior's love for us. Amen. But uh, let's uh, read a few verses here. First of all, th- this here is very interesting because it, it's John stating his purpose for why he wrote this epistle, this first letter of John. So First John 5 and verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So why did he write this? And why did he write it specifically to the people who believe in the name of the Son of God? Because he wanted them to know that they had eternal life. And he wanted them not just to believe for a little while and fizzle out. No, he wanted them to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Same chapter, chapter 5, 1 John, uh, verse 20. says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. You see, uh, once again, verse 20 starts with that kind of language. We know. Definitive, not think so, hope so, could be, possibly, maybe, but definitive language. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. And why did he give us an understanding? It's revealed in that next phrase. That we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, my title for tonight is very simple. This is how you know. This is how you know. And the reason why is because the phrase, by this we know, by this we know, by this we know, is a phrase that continually shows up throughout the epistle of 1 John. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And you see, the, uh, if God said something once, it's important. We know that. But, but there's just something that, that, that really... It's very real to me that when God repeats himself, mm-hmm, when God repeats himself, it's, it's even more worthy of paying attention to. And, and this is a phrase, uh, this, uh, by this we know, by this we know, by this we know, that, that is really all over the epistle of 1 John. And so there are several things that we want to look at in here that, that it, it's not just those people that he was writing to, 
that need to know this. It's us and we and those gathered here tonight who need to know the same. Amen. All right. So, let's go to chapter uh, 3 in verse 10. But before I read that, we're, we're going to look here in this section. And this is Bible study tonight, so we go study the Bible. <laughs> it's called that for a reason, isn't it? Uh, and and we're, we're going to call this section of our message that this is how you know that you know him and are in him. All right? So this section of our message is called, This is How You Know, that you know him and are in him. We're going to start with 1 John 3 and verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, this is how you know the difference between children of God and children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So one of the first ways that that we can know that we know him and are in him, one of the first ways we can know that we're one of the children of God and not one of the children of the devil is that if we're not practicing righteousness, we're not of God. If we are practicing righteousness, we are of God. Now, you, you, you're probably thinking the same thing that I thought, which was, oh, Lord, I sure goofed up a few times. Lord, I may have even goofed up more than a few times. What about that? And uh, let, let, let me say it to you like this, and I believe that this is going to bring some help. That when you're practicing righteousness, you're not doing something to try to attain righteousness. When you're practicing righteousness, you're not doing something to get righteous. You're practicing something because you are righteous. Let me put it to you like this. We're not doing good works to try to earn something. We do righteousness because we are righteous. As a matter of fact, the beautiful description of what the new covenant is about, and this is quoted both in the Old and the New Testaments multiple times, is that in the new covenant that God takes the law and writes it on your hearts. And we understand this in the epistles of Paul, that the nature of righteousness, the gift of righteousness has been given to us, which means that now as believers, we've got the gift of righteousness, God's own righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. Amazing. So if you understand that when we're talking about practicing righteousness, we're not talking about doing things to get righteous. We're talking about doing things because we are righteous. We're practicing righteousness because we are righteous. Amen. All right. So one of the ways that you can know that you're that you know him and that you're in him is the fact that you practice righteousness. What else does the epistle say about this? First John chapter 2 and verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, 
you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. In the same way that that other verse said, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Here it says, you know that everyone who does practice righteousness is born of God. This is how you know. Now, let's, uh, we're in uh, 1 John 2. Let's go earlier in that chapter. Look at verse 3 to 6. 1 John 2, 3 to 6. Now, by this we know. I told you that's going to keep on popping up because this is a wording that the Apostle John uses frequently throughout this epistle. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk just as he, Jesus, walked. So, by this we know, verse 3 said, that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, your mind's probably wondering about those commandments. What are those commandments? And you know what? We're going to get to it a little bit later. So hold on. Verse 5 gives us some clarity to this. Talks about whoever keeps his word. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we're in him. So the person who uh, knows him and is in him is going to keep his commandments. Or as verse 5 gives us a little more clarity on, keeps his word. Now, does that mean that you do this without fail and without possibility of messing up? No, but one of the themes of 1 John is that this is your regular practice. Uh, uh, There is a a, a tense uh, in the Greek language that... that, uh, uh, would, would help would help us to understand certain verses in First John. For instance, like you might read something that he who commits sin is of the devil. I say, oh boy, I've committed a few. I must be of the devil. But then when you understand that 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 tense in the Greek, you're talking about ongoing continuous action. So so when you understand that, you understand that the context of that, and the heart of what's being said, is not he who has committed a sin. But he who is practicing sin is of the devil. Because someone who's of God is not intentionally going about practicing sin. What are they looking to practice? They're looking to practice righteousness. All right, are you with me on that? Now, let's go ahead and continue here. Talking about practicing righteousness. One of the ways that you can know that you're that you know him and that you're in him. First John five, eighteen and nineteen. And this is one of those verses that I was just alluding to a moment ago. It says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Oh Lord. But if you think about it, he already said in the first chapter that if we uh confess our sins that 
that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John also said in the first verse of the second chapter, these things I write to you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So you see, John does understand that we do have the possibility of messing up. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said those two statements I just told you. So therefore, we understand this to be in the context of not committing a single sin, but the idea of practicing sin. So we know that whoever is born of God does not continually practice sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, verse 18, go back for a minute. Verse 18 starts with what? We know. Go back to verse 19. What does that start with? We know. Are you seeing a theme here tonight? Hallelujah. This is how you know. So when it comes to knowing these things, we know that whoever is born of God does not regularly practice sin, does not practice sin as a lifestyle. But what do they do? Verse 18 said they keep themselves. And because they're keeping themselves, the wicked one, uh -uh uh-uh-uh, does not touch him. Now that verse 19 says we know that we're of God. But the whole world, those who are practicing sin, those who because they have not received the gift of righteousness, therefore cannot be practicing righteousness, and there ain't nothing left for them to practice but sin. Those people that have not been born of God and therefore are not keeping themselves, are allowing themselves access for the wicked one to touch them, And verse 19 says it like this. They're lying under the sway of the wicked one. So this is how you know that you know him and are in him. And the first part of that is that you practice righteousness. You act like who you is. You've received a gift from God. The gift of eternal life. The gift of righteousness. And that new nature, you as a new creature in Christ, remember the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you as a new creature in Christ are acting according to your new nature. And that's how you know that you're in him. Because you realize, hey, wait a minute. I know I'm not perfect yet, but I know I got a new nature. I know I still got crazy flesh to deal with, but there's something inside of me that's not interested in doing that same old stuff anymore. There's something inside of me that don't want to go to that same old place anymore and do that same old thing with that same old somebody. Help me, Jesus. Are you hearing me tonight? Hallelujah. So we we see that. Uh, Practicing righteousness is a way that you can know that you know him and that you're in him. What's another uh, uh, fruit of that? Uh, You love others. You love others. This is how you know. 
First John 3, 10 through 14. We read 10 already. We'll read a little further this time. It says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is a message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So, how do I know that I am one who knows God and one who's in him? Because I walk in love. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So, how do we know that we've passed from death to life. Well, the Bible says this is how you know. Because you have uh, passed from death to life because you love the brethren. You know that that's happened. And the evidence of it is love. The evidence of it is the love of God inside of you. Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Now, here's the thing. This love inside of you does not mean that nobody will ever take you off ever again. Have you already figured that out? Lord, help us. <laughs> yeah, you might have figured that out on day one of your Christianity. But hey, the, the, the Bible also says that the love of Christ compels us. Another translation of that, the love of Christ constrains us. Even when you want to just go ahead and give somebody every piece of your mind you got, there's something inside that's flagging you down. There's something inside that's scratching at you. There's something inside getting your attention. Even, even, even if it's just to say, we don't do it that way anymore. Not in this kingdom. Not in this new lifestyle. We don't do it that way anymore. What's that? That's the love of God inside of you trying to get your attention before you give away too many pieces of your mind and don't have any left. <laughs> Hallelujah. But how do you know? We know. Like verse 10 of this very same chapter. If we go back there for a minute. Verse 10. That says, then in this the children of God are manifested and the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness, nor he who does not love his brother. So somebody who's not loving his brother, not having a practice of walking in love, is somebody that that's how the children of the devil act. That that's how people outside of the kingdom of God act. People that are inside of the kingdom of God they love their brother. And they know that this transition has happened. That they've gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They've gone out of the world and, and in, into the, the kingdom of God's dear son. How do they know that? Because love is an indicator 
that that has taken place. And you might say, well, I'm having a hard time loving some people. Well, you know, that does not necessarily mean that you don't have the love of God inside of you. Because one of the biggest issues that believers have, and especially young believers that aren't mature and seasoned, is how to get out of you what you have in you. Did you hear that? A lot of times we think that it's just going to go ahead and naturally happen. I've got righteousness in me. And I've got love in me. So it's just going to be the most easy thing in the world to go ahead and practice righteousness and practice love. And then you find out, woo! Wait a minute. I got some treasures on the inside and I know they're there and they're just clawing and trying to get out of me all the time. And why is it that when they're trying to get out, it's like there's somebody there trying to go ahead and keep them in. That's why one of the signs of a seasoned, mature believer is they know how to allow to come to the outside what is on their inside. They know how to practice righteousness they, because they have a righteous nature. They know how to get it from here out to here. They know how to let the, the new creation that you are dominate. Who you are, what you think, how you act, how you respond. Isn't that why we got to renew the mind? Isn't that the whole reason for renewing the mind? Because your mind did not get saved. Your mind is not naturally geared that way. So the idea of loving somebody, after they did what they did to me, and then you do that neck thing, and you know, and uh, yeah, all that stuff. But that's because your mind's not renewed. The, the, you see, yeah, it's not natural for your flesh to want to do that. What your flesh wants to do, as the founder of our church here called it, the five-fold ministry. Lord, help us. But, but that's not the way we do things as believers. We, we don't allow that to happen. But, but, but that's a big key there. The, the whole idea is, Lord, how can I get what is inside of me now as a believer to show up on the outside? And how does that happen? What well, happens two things. It, it really primarily in two ways. The renewing of the mind and putting your flesh under. Putting your body under. Not just allowing your mind to think any old way. You're telling your mind, this is how you're going to think. This is how it's going to be. This is the way we do things now. You're telling your flesh, no, you ain't doing it that way anymore. This is the way we do it now. And your flesh screams, says, but I want what I want, and I want it when I want it. And you say, shut up. This is the way it's going to be. And so the real ticket to that is that you are allowing what's on the inside of you to get, get, get it showing up on the outside, manifesting on the outside through the renewing of the mind and through you keeping your body under, not letting your body control you, but uh, in, in opposition to that, it's you controlling your body. All right? Hallelujah. That was for somebody. I, I believe that'll help you. First John 5, 2. We're still talking about the love of God. 
says this, by this we know, oh, there it is again, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. So it's interesting, you know when you love God, when you love his people, and you know when you love his people by when you love him. It works the same both ways. You love God, you love his people. You love his people, you love him. Amen. First John 3, 18 through, uh, actually we'll cut off 20 and 21 for now, save that for later. Right now we'll only read 18 and 19. Um, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, not words only, but in real action. Verse 19, and by this we know, oh boy, there it is again. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now there's another dimension to that that we're going to read later, but one of the the dimensions of that by this we know is by us walking in love, by us not just loving in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. By that we know that we are of the truth. 1 John 3.16. Woo! A member of the 316 Club. That's a popular club right there. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, by this we know love. We've got a pattern of it because of what Jesus did for us. And the acting out of that pattern is when we do for others what Jesus did for us. Jesus laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. By this we know love. How do you know it? Because you've got a pattern of it that is so absolutely perfect. So absolutely spotless. We sang about it tonight. It don't get any better than the love of God. Hallelujah. So that's the pattern. We know what love is by watching him. And we act out that love by doing towards others the very same thing he did towards us. We don't have to die for anybody's sins. You couldn't anyhow. But you can't lay down your life for your brethren. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than, than he should lay down his life for a friend. You know, for some of us, laying down our life is taking a 10-minute phone call when you don't feel like it, when it's not convenient, when, uh, you you know, uh, uh, people need you when they need you. Isn't that the truth? And so the the perfect opportunity to walk in love is not always in these nice little neat increments, you know. It's kind of like this, you know. Uh, when you're pastoring, you you know, it, it'd be nice if people only needed you during office hours, but <laughs> it don't work that way. It don't work that way. People need you when they need you. Lay down your life for the brethren. Amen. Guys, uh, out back, I'm going to skip over 1 John 4, 16. Uh, We're going to go ahead and move on to something else right here. Another indicator that you can know that you are in him and that you know him 
is the fact that he has given you his spirit. You can know that you're in him. You can know that you know him because he has given you his spirit. Here we go. 1 John 3, 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. How do we know that? By the spirit whom he has given us. Now, if that wasn't enough, 1 John 4, 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. You know what an amazing thing that the moment when we became born again, it wasn't just our own spirit and our own soul living inside of this body, somebody moved in on you, let me tell you. That was the moment, as the scripture describes, that your body became the temple of the Holy Spirit. Somebody lives inside of you. And we can know that we're abiding in him and we can know that he's abiding in us. And how do we know that? Because we sense the presence of that mighty spirit of God living inside of us. Even if you don't sense his presence any other way, you sense his presence because even when you want to say something or go somewhere or, 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 or do something or whatever, you've got somebody living inside of you, flagging you down, saying, hey, that's not the way we do things around here anymore. Hallelujah. He is in there. He is not a force. He is not some kind of mystical mist. He is a person. The third person of the Godhead, God, the Holy Spirit, is living inside of you if you are a believer in Jesus. And all the goodies that come along with him. Hallelujah. You know, it's interesting in the book of Acts, uh, Peter, I I believe it was Peter when he was preaching, he uh, uh, declaring some things to the religious leaders. He said uh, that, that we are his witnesses to these things. And he said, so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit inside of you is a witness. Can I have a witness? (laughs) You got one. As a matter of fact, Romans 8 verse 16 says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's talking about this very same thing. His very presence inside of you is an indicator that you're in him and he's in you. How do you know that I'm abiding in him and, and he's abiding in me? His, the very presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you is that indicator. And he's a witness. Let, let me say this here. Can we have fun for a minute? The significance of the Holy Spirit being a witness means that 
he was at certain events that you weren't at. But you can know with certainty and surety that those things are true, even though you weren't there directly, because somebody living inside of you was there. You weren't at creation. You might have gone to school and been taught about the, 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 the big blow up that happened hundreds of millions of years ago. And, you know, it's amazing, you know, that, that, uh, it's the first time, the only time that something blew up and resulted in perfect order. And every other time something has ever blew up, it's resulted in total disorder. But this one time, woo, we hit it. This one time there was a big blow up that resulted in perfect order. That's called being so open-minded your brains fell out. Let me tell you. <laughs> Lord help. But you see, the Holy Spirit was there at creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the, the, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the very one who lives inside of you was a witness to how this thing got started to begin with. He was there. So therefore, when you hear some other crazy version of how it happened, there's a witness inside of you who taps you on the shoulder and says, Oh, no, it didn't happen like that. You know? Somebody will tell you, well, you believe in a virgin birth. Ain't no such thing as a virgin getting pregnant. But wait a minute. Somebody was there when it happened. The, the scripture is very clear of the involvement of the Holy Spirit in the process of depositing the very seed of God into the Virgin Mary. And so you hear someone say, there's no possible way that can happen. That's just a religious story. Ain't no possible way that can happen. But there's a witness inside of you who said, I was there. That's exactly how it happened. Did, did you hear me? There's a witness in you. <laughs> Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River. And God speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the spirit of God descending in bodily form like a dove and descending upon him. You think that happened? You really think it happened like that? Somebody inside, he said, oh yeah, I was there. Who you think it was descending on Jesus? That was me. That same Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Yeah, miracles, healing, what's up with that? No, no, no. There's just no, no way that Jesus was going around doing all that kind of stuff. But wait a minute. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. 
Who was involved? Who was the one who anointed him to do the miracles and the healings and still anoints men and women today to do the miracles and the healings? It's that same witness who lives inside of you as a believer. Somebody, mm, give me a high five tonight. Hallelujah. He has given us of his spirit. And now, as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, let's open up something else. I got that out of my system. I feel like we can move on here. Another dimension of this is, this is how you know the Spirit of God and the difference between the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. So this is how you know the, the, the Spirit of God, or said another way, this is how you know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And what we're doing, we're highlighting all this wording in 1 John about you knowing and you knowing and you knowing. 1 John 4, verse 2. By this, 4-2, that's where we're at right now. If they're not there, you can get there. Get your Bible, get your tablet. Here we go, 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, go back to verse 2 real quick. Verse 2 says this. By this you know. This is how you know. By this you know the Spirit of God. And so every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So this is one thing you need to get. The idea of come in the flesh, the very mention of that word come means that he existed elsewhere before coming. That lets you know he was somewhere before he came. So the very idea of you mentioning Jesus come in the flesh does not just mean that Jesus was here in a physical body, but that he was somewhere else before he came here. Sounds like the, the prophecy of Micah predicting where Christ would be born when he said, but you Bethlehem Ephrata. Though, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall he come forth who will be ruler over my people Israel, whose goings forth have been from everlasting to everlasting. That means he was somewhere before he was in Bethlehem. Amen. He was all the way back to eternity past. Hallelujah. Talk about making your brain go tilt right there. So the Spirit of God will always recognize, and anybody who's operating in true doctrine and the truth is always going to recognize this, that Jesus existed 
with the Father before coming here to planet Earth. That he existed elsewhere before coming here. Now, and then uh, as we read at the end of verse 6, it just gets right down to it. It says, he who knows God hears us. And he who does not, uh, he, who, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You got to be aware as a believer that not everything that is said in the name of Jesus is the real spirit of God. As a matter of fact, the line that can separate between whether you're on the right side of the line or the wrong side of the line, whether you're part of the spirit of the truth or the spirit of error, that line is very often determined by what you believe about Jesus. Amen. Or as Jesus put it, whom do you say that I am? Now it's talking about the spirit of Antichrist here. First John 20, the 2 verse 22 gives us a little inclination here. It says that uh, who's a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So, for a major world religion that says that God has no children or that looks at Jesus in any other way except as being the, the Son of God, eternally existing with the Father, came here, lived a perfect sinless life, shed his blood on the cross, was, uh, was crucified, buried, risen, and ascended to heaven, and that he is exactly who he said he was. Any other voice that says anything about Jesus that is contrary to that cannot Absolutely not possibly be the Spirit of God. Amen. The Spirit of God is always going to be right down to the T, boom, accurate, when it comes to what's said about Jesus. And what somebody says about Jesus, what somebody believes about Jesus, is going to be the thing that exposes what side of the line they're on and who they're listening to, the Spirit of truth or the Spirit of error. And it's interesting that in the last hour, there would be an increase of that kind of stuff. As to, uh, chapter 2, verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Wow. By which we know. This is how you know. How do you know that it's the last hour? Because there's many antichrists have come. At the time of this writing, it was the last hour. You know, if you're wondering when the last days began, the last days began on the day of Pentecost, if you want to look at it that way. Because the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So it's last days then? Woo! 
We're much further into the last days now. And there's a whole lot of the spirit of Antichrist in the world. The spirit of Antichrist being people that they want to say their own thing about Jesus. People that, that want to go ahead and uh, uh, define spirituality their own way. No, I don't go to church. But, but, uh, yeah, but they come across as though they, they kind of got their own system figured out. There, there, there is no other system to figure out. That's the spirit of error. I mean, take it to the bank. That's the spirit of error. You say, but, but in, in this day of being um, open-minded and, and uh, inclusive, do you love that word, inclusive? Except I find that inclusivity is very exclusive to people who are believers in Jesus. That's the only problem I got with what most people identify as inclusiveness. But, but you see, the increase of this kind of stuff, people trying to define Jesus in their own way. Well, Jesus was a, a great teacher. And, and, and the line that, that you just got to love. Yeah, Jesus went around pe- teaching peace and tolerance. How many of you heard that line before? <laughs> yeah, peace and tolerance. Look, like, like that money changer scene. Look real tolerant to me. I don't think so. And that statement about I don't come to bring peace, I come to bring a sword. Oh, Lord. The prince of peace carrying a sword with him? But you see, what, what is that? that? That's people trying to go ahead and redefine Jesus and not define Jesus according to the way the word defines him. Not to look at Jesus as, uh, as just some, some nice teacher who showed up in history. If that's what somebody thinks about Jesus, they are not thinking according, operating according, uh, listening to the spirit of truth. They are listening and under the influence of the spirit of error. You can clearly see the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error based on what somebody believes about Jesus. Now, we don't have time to open this can of worms. But there's more stuff in 1 John that talks about we know. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. So can I just leave a verse with you? I don't have time to work it out. But I, it's just too juicy for me not to drop it on you. So one more for the road. Is that all right with you? One more for the road. Here it is. I'm just going to go ahead and give you the verse. It's 5, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Ready? Boom. Here we go. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. Talk about this is how you know. Well, this is how you know. Because if you know the will of God, and then you ask according to the will of God, 
And then you know he hears you because you asked according to the will of God. And if you know that he hears you, then you know you've got what you asked for. So that's a little bit of a tease. Like I said, we didn't take the full time to develop that, but just one for the road. First John five fourteen and 15, another one of John's great statements about this is how you know. Praise the Lord, somebody. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs>